politeness, etiquette, um, rules of conduct, manners. If you have lived in another part of the country, maybe lived abroad, you have probably found that there are different rules of conduct. There are different uh, matters of etiquette, depending on where you find yourself. I was thinking this week a little bit about Texas. I was thinking, I don't know why, about homecoming and mums. In Texas, if your girlfriend shows up at homecoming without a kind of a travel trailer-sized mum array, she's going to feel out of place. How many of you grew, how many of you went to high school outside of Texas? Okay. Did you guys do mums outside of Texas? In Missouri, I didn't even know what a mum was until I got here. It's kind of a Texas thing. Um, living in Brazil, we found out some things that were, were right in Brazil that are wrong here, like being late. You are supposed to be late in Brazil. It is impolite. It is rude to show up on time at the four-year-old birthday party or at the backyard barbecue. It's rude. In fact, if Brazilians really want you to show up on time, they have an expression, uh, horario britannico, show up at British time. That means you're actually supposed to be there on time. Otherwise, Brazilian time, 45 minutes late, hour late, just to be, to be polite. Uh, otherwise, you're going to be the only one there. Um, in Brazil, you don't leave someone's home until you receive the cafezinho, the little cup of coffee. If you receive the little cup of, cup of coffee, that is your unofficial, you can leave now uh, card, uh, permission slip. So rules of etiquette. Now there are rules of politeness that transcend the centuries and transcend the cultures. And in, Mar in Matthew chapter 15, we find Jesus creating really just a genuinely cringy, awkward situation because it appears he was breaking some of these transcendental uh, Emily Post politeness kind of rules. Um, we find, or at least feel, perhaps after reading Matthew 15, that the kindest, most caring human being in the history of the world was kind of at first glance being a little bit rude, uh, kind of a cringy story, but yet it contains some important lessons about prayer and about faith. So we're going to start out in Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And we will tap the brakes right there because that is kind of a weird start to the story. I mean, Matthew found this to be noteworthy, so he included it. Jesus, rabbi from Israel, going outside of the borders of Israel into a place that Jewish people usually would not find themselves, would not want to be found, to be honest. Because they didn't like the Jewish people there very much. It would probably be a lot like that today. This tire side in about 30, 40 miles south of Beirut, Lebanon. I would assume today, if an Israeli family were doing spring break somewhere, it would probably not be there. That would be a weird place to be. It would be like a Ukrainian family, you know, taking summer break up in Moscow. It would just be awkward and, and strange. And so we have Jesus up there in the Phoenician region, Tyre and Sidon. What is he doing up there? Some speculate he is escaping 
creating distance between himself and his opponents. Perhaps, though, he knew he needed to be there to have this particular encounter that we are going to read about. Verse 22, behold, attention, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. His disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. Can you get rid of her, please? So who is she? She is, obviously, a desperate mom. Her daughter is in crisis. And she asks Jesus for help explaining the situation. I think very reasonable explanation. I've got a daughter and she is demon-possessed. I need your help. She is, verse 21, crying out for help. So when you imagine her, when you paint this picture, know that she is crying out here. And Jesus, verse 23, did not answer a word. He had nothing at all to say to her. And it's not like she's coming with this, I don't know, selfish, materialistic, superficial, uh, extraneous kind of request. Like I put an offer on in a house in a nice neighbor, uh, neighborhood of Tyre. Can you please, Lord, grant that my offer on that house will be accepted? She's not asking for an Xbox. She's not asking for a raise. She's not asking to find Mr. Right. She is asking the Son of God, can you please remove this demon from the life of my daughter? I'm no expert on etiquette. But ignoring her, it doesn't seem like the polite thing to do. And if you're working through Matthew's gospel, if you're following the work, the ministry, the message of Jesus, you're seeing Jesus talk about love. You're watching Jesus give special attention to the downtrodden, the outcast. You're watching Jesus heal all manner of infirmity. You're, you're watching Jesus cast demons out left and right. And so you get here, and I think it's okay. When we read the Bible honestly, it's okay to furrow the brows. It's okay to scratch the head a little bit and come across a passage where you kind of say, huh? It's all right. So Matthew is working us through this, and to be honest, I was thinking this week, I have ignored people in need. I don't know about you. I have ignored people in need. I'm not proud of that. But Jesus, neglecting, not saying a word as someone literally begs for help. And once he did start talking, okay, no, not okay. It got worse, okay. Uh, Matthew 15, 24, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. 
So we start with, <laughs> with the silent treatment. Uh, and then she keeps on begging, keeps on asking for help. And his disciples, verse 23, are essentially, hey, Lord, if you're not going to help her, at least get rid of her. At least send her away. And then when he finally starts talking, he announces, I'm not here for the likes of you. I'm here to help the children of Israel. We, that's the priority. That's the focus of my ministry. Of course, we know Jesus himself is going to tell us later in this same gospel, the Great Commission, his ministry is for all the world. But here he's telling her in this desperate situation, yeah, I'm not here to help the likes of you today. And she had to be bewildered, incredibly disappointed by that statement from Jesus. And then, of course, he basically calls her a dog. It would be wrong to take the children's food and just toss it to the dogs, the gifts of Israel, and, and hand them out to the, to the Canaanites. Again, if you're tracking rudeness, if you've got your, your politeness meter running here, it, it's, it's in red. It's, it's, it's not feeling polite at all. So Jesus is outside of Israel. He is operating in Canaanite space. And as I was reading this this week, I was just thinking about the most famous Canaanite of all, another woman, Jezebel. <laughs> Jezebel. Part of Israel's history, in fact, became queen of Israel, because unlike Jesus moving up north into Canaanite space, she moved south into Israelite space, marrying King Ahab, and she was really bad. I mean, she was just evil. She imports all kinds of Baal worship into Israel, compelling people to begin worshiping these false gods, and that's not even the half of it. She begins a campaign of extermination against the priesthood of Israel, against the prophets of Yahweh. But here we've got a different kind of Canaanite woman in Matthew 15. She comes to Jesus and she calls him kurios. She calls him Lord. She uses a messianic title, son of David. She even seems to recognize his kingly authority, kneeling before him like a loyal subject would before her Lord. She, she asks for help in verse 25. It looks like, if I'm just tracking things through Matthew 15 at this point, it looks like she is getting everything right and Jesus is getting everything wrong. I'm just being honest with you. I mean, she had nowhere else to turn. You've got to imagine she has tried the neighborhood doctors. She has tried the local priests and priestesses. And now she comes to Jesus who she believes can help. She has heard stories of his power and his love for people like her. And he is in her neighborhood. He is her last chance. And she believes, and this is important, believes. Otherwise, she wouldn't be after him and after him and after him, believes he can help. And Jesus calls her a dog. We talked about this before. You know, kunarios here in the Greek. It's little dog, little dogs. By the way, if you're tracking the etiquette, I, maybe it's slightly less offensive to call a woman a little dog than a big dog. 
But in that culture and in our culture, it's not a polite thing to say. So what's happening with Jesus? Did we catch him on a bad day? Is he just tired and exhausted? He's had it. Uh, we talk about Jesus being 100% God, 100% man. Maybe the ratio is a little off at this point in this mystery. Maybe a little more man than God today. What's going on here? Because he basically says, I'm here for the children. I'm here for the Israelites, not the dogs. Not people like you. Verse 27. She said... Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Not much has changed in 2,000 years, by the way. Even the dogs eat the crumbs. And Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. I am so drawn to this story. I love how, in the end, how Jesus elevates her. I love how Jesus turns all the spotlights on her and says, This is a person of great faith. And maybe with a sly grin as the conversation goes on, he steps back and he lets her win the argument, yes, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall off the master's table. Touche, you win. And he announces, great is your faith. You want to know something? Great is your faith. That is not something Jesus ever said to Peter and James and John and those 12 men who were there witnessing this. He did not tell them, guys, wow, impressive. Your faith is incredible. Instead, he said things like Luke 8, 25, where is your faith? I can't seem to find it, guys. In the Gospel of Matthew 8, 26, he says to those fellows, he says, oh, you of little faith. And now in front of them, he says, here's someone with great faith. Pay attention, fellas. And we get to finally, we get to finally stop holding our breath and say, this is the Jesus we know and love. Your faith is great. Your request is granted instantly. Her daughter is whole. Instantly, her future is lit up in front of her. Instantly, She's restored. She's okay. And Jesus, the master teacher, he is always asking questions that make us think. He's always saying provocative things. And sometimes, like here, he kind of steps back and has a guest rabbi step in. And she becomes the teacher for his apostles, sharing basic kingdom principles about faith and about prayer. One of those would be that prayer is an act of faith. Those two go together. Prayer is an act of faith. There are things that need to happen in our church, in our city. There are things that need to happen in our families. There are things that need to happen in our individual walks with the Lord that cannot happen by our power. Amen? 
Like our intelligence, our great ideas, our talents, our network of relationships, our financial resources, there are really important things that have to happen. We don't have what it takes. Only God does. There are things he wants to happen. There are things he wants to bring into being and we need to pray and have faith because we are not up to the task. Of course, you can choose not to live by faith. And plenty of people do. Just know you will never be where God wants to take you unless you walk by faith. It is, as the author of Hebrews said, impossible to please God without faith. And there is work that will be left undone, important work, unless we have faith. So we rely on him, exactly what she is doing in this story. It is an act of faith. Well, several acts of faith. Reaching out to a foreigner. Reaching out to a, a Jewish rabbi declaring him to be Lord and Son of David. This all takes courage. It takes a belief that Jesus can do what no one else can do. And she exemplifies this. There's another principle, by the way, I think that just flows out of this story. And it may be one of the most underestimated spiritual principles around. It's about persistence. It's that prayer is more marathon than sprint. That not giving up is a very important thing to the Lord when it comes to our prayer lives. And I think about Abraham and Sarah. I think about Hannah. I think about a story Jesus told one time. You know, they prayed, they prayed, they prayed, didn't give up. I think about a story that Jesus told in Luke 18 about a woman, a persistent widow. You remember the story? She asks, she asks, she asks this judge to hear her case, to render a, a, a just verdict. He will not hear her, but she doesn't quit. Finally, he gives in and he answers. And, and Luke sets the parable up with this in Luke 18.1. He says, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and what? Never give up. Read that with me if you would. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Do you give up when you pray? Never give up. That may be the one thing you need to hear today. Don't give up. I think about her. The Canaanite woman, she could have walked away in a huff after being ignored. She could have been so incensed, kind of, I want to talk to the manager, kind of incensed after being called a dog and told, I'm not here to help people like you. But she didn't turn loose of Jesus. She wouldn't turn loose of Jesus. She holds on and she persists. And then there is obviously in the story the principle of humility. Oh, how we need that these days. Humility. Prayer comes from a place of dependence on God. 
that recognizes that he is God, that, that I am not. The woman in the story, she's really remarkable. I mean, she doesn't, she's not remarkable. Let me put it this way. She's not re- remarkable because she walks in with this amazing self-confidence. She's not remarkable because she begins listing all of her bargaining chips to Jesus, all of the leverage that she has in this negotiation with Jesus. She is remarkable because she knows she has nothing except a persistent belief that he can do something about her situation. Faith is all that she has. There's such humility in this story. If just some morsels, some scraps of grace and favor could just kind of fall off the table to a dog like me, my situation would be reversed. My daughter would be well. What a great posture for prayer. And I love how Jesus, you know, there's just this, this picture painted in the story. I guess she's the one who paints it for us. I don't know how many of you guys have dogs. Our dog passed away a couple years ago. Rest in peace, Jane. Uh, but I mean, I just think, yeah, a dog under the table, scraps. The eyes of the dog are, are, get a little wider and the ears kind of lower and the tail kind of goes between the legs. Maybe there's a little whimper, a little cry. Maybe the dog puts, puts her head on your lap. Just, just a scrap. Just a, just a tortilla chip falling on the, on the floor would be fantastic here. You know, just, a, and she knows that's enough. Total humility as she comes and kneels before the Lord. Now, we don't come as labradoodles or, or corgis. We come, we talked about this last week. We come in a very different status and situation. Not to be proud about this. There's still humility here. We come as beloved, treasured children of God because of Jesus, because of the gospel. We sit at the table. We already did that this morning. With our Lord and our Savior, we have places at the table Hebrews 4.16 talks about this mixture of humility and confidence. We approach the throne of grace with confidence because we believe we will receive mercy in our hour of need. We owe everything to Jesus. We owe this position and this hope and this security to the gospel of Christ. And finally, we'll end up here. Prayer works. I think I just need to say that after walking away from this story this morning. Prayer works. We talked about last week. It's, it's not like, it's prayer for us as Christians, it's not like a spell or an incantation where if you get all of the words just right in the correct order, voila, you receive the blessing. It's not like a combination lock, you know, where, okay, 22, 16, 4, now unlock, blessings of heaven come down. It doesn't work like that. We are children of God, and we lean into his wisdom and his love. We understand that when we pray, he will answer according to that. According to his wisdom and love, he knows better than us. And so we ask and we pray and the Holy Spirit intercedes and he answers us. Maybe not always according to our timeline, our, our wish list or our agenda. He doesn't always answer in the way we're expecting or wanting, but he does answer. 
And we trust in faith that his answer is best for us. Jesus himself prayed one time, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And I hope that is either explicit or implicit in every prayer we pray. Father, I trust you. Here's what I want, but not my will, but yours be done. Mark DeVries, talking about faith and prayer, had a, had a really interesting statement. He said this, Faith helps us to stand under God's sovereignty even when we have no idea what he is doing. That's faith. I can't see that far ahead but I trust that you can. I trust you, Father. And this morning, uh, perhaps you do need the prayers of God's people that we would come before the throne together. We do that at Preston Crest and we would invite you to come pray with me or one of our shepherds or turn in a prayer request, drop it in the box out there, fill one out on church teams or maybe before you leave the room, just put your arm around somebody and say, hey, here's the situation. Would you pray over me about this? Someone, you or someone in your circle of friends or family is struggling and you just, just pray about this. Help me out here. Maybe this morning it is, I love that posture of kneeling before Jesus, total surrender, total dependence. Maybe it's coming to Jesus and making that statement of faith, you are Lord. I surrender my life to you.